Hi folks, this is Abel James and welcome to the Fat Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Today's guest is Carly Randolph Pittman, a fellow Austinite, an author, and an expert in eating disorders, sugar cravings, and developmental psychology. How about that? So Carly Randolph Pittman teaches men and women about how to heal the emotional roots of food stuff, sugar addiction, binge eating, and overeating through unconditional self-love, a path she calls growing human kindness. She's the author of several books and programs on gentle healing, including Overcoming Sugar Addiction, The 30-Day Lift, and Heal Overeating. And in today's show, we talk about how to confront and diffuse rabid sugar cravings, what to do when you encounter a cookie in the conference room after a long, hard day of work, how to come to terms with a history of eating disorders and body image issues, and the no-willpower way to build impulse control. All right, let's go hang out with Carly. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. Let me ask you something. Did you eat your veggies today? All of them? Believe it or not, fewer than 10% of adults and children in America get their recommended fruits and veggies in daily. That is absolutely atrocious. And many millions of us are suffering from disease, obesity, and ill health as a direct result. So my wife, Allison, and I decided to do something about it. Now you can double your intake of fruits and veggies in less than 60 seconds without the sugar or carbs. We're excited to bring you our new superfood greens powder called Future Greens to make it easy to get organic, nutrient-dense veggies in every day, no matter where you are. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling prebiotic fiber from whole organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. Since Future Greens is preserved, you can get your greens on even when fresh produce, salads, and smoothies are far out of reach. Future Greens makes getting nutrition easy, and it tastes great if I do say so myself. Future Greens is a smart and convenient source of nutrition for disaster preparedness, road trips, camping, athletics, and more. It travels great in the car, on the plane, or in a spaceship. Just make sure you activate artificial gravity before opening. Basically, it's like vegetables from the future. So if you're looking to increase your energy and health without the crash from caffeine or sugar, meet your new best friend, Future Greens. As a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can get a 20% discount to try it yourself right now. Just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off when you subscribe and save. You'll get our coolest new concoction from Wild Superfoods called Future Greens. Again, just head on over to fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get over 20% off your purchase. We'll see you there. All right, folks, today we're here with a fellow Austin transplant, Carly Randolph Pittman. How's it going, Carly? Great. Thanks for having me, Abel. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Thanks so much for stopping by. So you've struggled with basically every kind of imaginable form of eating disorder, as I understand. Uh, I saw on your website bulimia, binge eating, sugar addiction, emotional eating, body hatred, and weight obsession for, uh, for decades now. So yeah. these are... You na- Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that's that's pretty difficult waters to navigate but it seems like you've uh, now it's something that's 
very important to you and your experience has helped so many other people. So why don't you just share your story where you started and, and where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I joke, I've kind of ridden every ride in the eating disorder amusement park. <laughs> um, I've experienced it all. And uh, it started for me primarily when I was in high school. Although if I look back to my childhood, I was definitely using food for emotional comfort mm -hmm. and uh, to care for myself as a young child. I just didn't have a name for it or knew that's what I was doing because as a child, I didn't have a weight problem. I just assumed that's what everybody did with food. Mm. Uh, but I became conscious of it when I was in high school. I was a runner. And I ran cross country and track. And, uh, you know, we joked about being a little bit of a type A personality. And mm -hmm. I was definitely that. I've been a lifelong overachiever. But I'm also really, really sensitive. And so I had a lot of insecurity about being sensitive, uh, looking at it almost like it was a character flaw or something that I needed to eradicate. So I had a lot of insecurity about always proving how tough I was mm -hmm. and how strong I was and how much better I should be. So here I am running in high school. And as a woman, too, once you hit puberty, that was the time for me when I really, really became conscious about my body and, and wanting to be beautiful and wanting to be skinny and wanting to be accepted. And there was this thought that came in my head was, well, if I just lost some weight, I'd be a faster runner and I'd be more beautiful and people yeah. would like me more. And so it started out pretty innocently as a diet, but very quickly it morphed into bulimia. And then when I went to college, uh, it became very, very problematic. Because in the beginning, I thought I was a little arrogant and I thought it was something that I could control. Mm. I thought I actually had found like this magic weight loss trick where I could just eat whatever I wanted and then throw up. <laughs> yeah. And so then I wouldn't gain weight and I quickly lost about 15 pounds and I got all this attention and it just fed something in me that I, I, I so much wanted to be seen and wanted to be appreciated, um, both as a runner and then as just as a woman. And then in college, of course, that really exacerbated it. I also happened to go to a university where there are a lot, a lot of girls with eating disorders. Hmm. Um, so it was like a ripe environment for me. And my college years were really uh, overlaid by this bulimia. And I remember every morning waking up feeling like I'm going to be on top of this and I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop today and thinking that if I just, I'm just going to apply myself to it. Um, but it had a life of its own. Wow. And then after college, so I was bulimic all through college. I honestly don't know how I studied and how I got through school because it yeah. was such a roller coaster of binging and purging or recovering. I don't know how I had the brain power to even right. focus. Yeah. yeah. But somehow I did. Um, and I look back to that time, it was an incredibly painful, painful time because, of course, I felt so ashamed of what I was doing and I was always trying to hide it and isolate it. Um, so I was isolating a lot from people, whether it was roommates or friends or, or boyfriends. Um, so it was an excruciating time. And then after I graduated from college and I, I got married and I became a mom, that was honestly the turning point for me of recognizing this is not just about my body anymore. This is mm -hmm. about someone else. Uh, and that was what encouraged me to, to start to get help. I'd seen a therapist in college, but I really, really started looking into it um, after I became pregnant. But then I spent all of my 20s and into my 30s then vacillating between 
other eating disorders. So I healed the bulimia, mm-hmm. but then I was going into binge eating and sugar addiction and where I'd be either starving myself and trying to eat as perfectly as possible. And then I'd compensate and I was, uh, binging, overeating. I was still exercising. So I'd use exercising as a form of, you know, making up for my overeating. So Mm -hmm. if I overate the night before, then I'd run two extra miles and run six miles the next day or, Mm -hmm. you know, these weird mathematical formulas. So a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And what finally turned the corner for me was when I realized that after it had been a decade, that was a real turning point for me of recognizing that, wow, I've been trying to lose the same 20 pounds for the past 10 years. Um, looking in the mirror and just wondering who I even was. I didn't even know who I was anymore. I felt bitter and resentful. Um, this was not who I wanted to be. And I also saw that my my eating disorders were starting to impact my girls. I had two girls mm-hmm. um, and then I had two boys and I didn't want to pass down my food stuff to them. Right. So, so that's for me that what turned the corner for me, Abel, was I stopped running from my pain because during mm-hmm. this time, I just kind of kept running from it and thinking that, well, I know a lot of women who kind of hate their bodies and are really uncomfortable with themselves. I know a lot of people who say this is just the way it's going to be. Maybe I just need to accept that I'm one of those women now who's had a couple of kids and doesn't really like herself. Mm-hmm. I thought I was just hurting myself, but I realized I wasn't. I was hurt. It was impacting everything around me and was greatly affecting my life. So instead of from that pain, I turned towards it. And that experience of turning towards my pain was revolutionary. And it's what changed my path because instead of being this source of shame and self-loathing, it became the doorway that I walked through where I returned home to myself. Wow. So how do you do that? (laughs) <laughs> How do you turn toward the pain and actually confront it and, and uh, treat it as something useful, perhaps? Mm-hmm. You know, everything in us, in my experience, wants to be loved and wants to be seen and wants to be felt. And the thing about pain and emotions is you can't run from it. Mm-hmm. You can try to suppress it. You can stuff it underground. You can you can use any kinds of ways to compensate it from you can you can work, you can eat, you can fixate on you can go on the internet you can do all these different strategies that we have of running from pain but they never work mm-hmm. they're my teachers calls their their false refuges because trust me i ate and ate and ate and ate, and ate. it never fully satisfied <laughs> it never gave me uh, what i was truly seeking mm-hmm. so as scary as it sounds to turn towards your pain it's actually not the the demon that we think it's going to be it meant instead of reacting from my feelings, actually sitting with them and actually feeling it. So if I'm feeling lonely and I'm wanting to eat or I'm feeling sad, it's emotional attunement. It's that Mm -hmm. sense. Can I be the unconditional loving best friend to myself? So during this time, you know, when I was healing from my eating disorders, I was also having children. And what really taught me how to love and care for myself was that Recognizing that the same skills that I was using to be an attuned, available mom to my kids was exactly what I needed to do for myself. Mm-hmm. So here I am learning how to be present for my children, to validate their experience, to give them compassion and empathy. And it was like all the light bulbs went off. It was like, this is what I need to do for myself. So looking at 
that pain that I experienced, all the stuff that was underneath all the food, um, what that literally looked like for me was uh, I went for a lot of uh, walks and cries is how I described them. I'd go for a walk and at the time I lived in a rural state so I had a lot of great places to go walk and I'd put my sunglasses on or my winter hat on depending on what season it was (laughs) and I would go and I would just actively you have to touch the pain itself. Now, our fear is if I touch that pain, it's going to overwhelm me. Mm -hmm. It's going to take me under and it's going to be too much. But in my experience, the opposite is actually true, that when I'm fully present with whatever it is that that hurt is or that loneliness or that anger or that, that sadness, when I fully offer it my compassion, and in so many words, just say to myself, I care. I care about this hurt in the same way that if you called up your best friend and you had a really tough day and you're like, wow, I'm so sorry. And we're really emotionally there for you. It's healing. And it's that is what I was truly seeking underneath the food. What I became was someone who unconditionally loves myself. And all my searching, whether it was the quest for the perfect body, whether it was the quest to be the perfect student, because I did that route too, whether (laughs) the quest to be the perfect mother, whether it was the quest to be the perfect wife, like all my life was like trying to conform myself into these boxes of perfection. And my mind was never satisfied. I was never good enough. Because the the mind has no shame, you know. You lost, you lose ten pounds. It's like ah, you can lose three more. Yeah. You, know, you graduate magna cum laude. You should graduate summa cum laude. You know? <laughs> and it it just you just keep anting up the bar. And the true, all the research that they're doing with self esteem and self compassion is so interesting. And what they're showing is that true self esteem is not that. I'm the best. True self-esteem comes from self-reliance. And that Mm. is the sense of come whatever happens in my life, I can handle this. I like that. Yeah, my worth is not based on what I do or what I achieve or the size of my butt or how clean I ate today or what I look like or how many books I sell or how great my kids are. None of that. My true worth has to do with my just being a precious human being. And so when I disconnected my worth of who I was from what I was doing or mm-hmm. what I like or what I was achieving, the rest that I found there, it's the unconditional love we want from everyone. What we all want at the deepest, deepest level is to be loved and accepted for who we are. Yeah. And I give that to myself. And from that space, I deeply and completely love you exactly as you are. That was the ground floor from which I was able to change. It's the it's the it's a paradox and it's a little bit ironic. And Carl Rogers said, as we accept ourselves exactly as we are, that's when we can change. Because what that does, this is so fascinating to me on a brain level, what that does is it moves you out of fight or flight and it moves you into the parasympathetic nervous system. And we all know what fight or flight is. Right. Light is when we're feeling tense and rigid and stressed. And what I learned in developmental psychology is that your brain can only do one of two things and only one of two things at a time. It can protect you or it can grow. (laughs) You are in perfection mode. If you are focused on being perfect, if there's no room for error, if your love for yourself is conditional, 
which is I have to do all the, I have to meet all these standards and in, in order to be lovable and okay, your sweet brain is in protect mode. It is in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. You can't access the higher regions of the brain. You're stuck in that primitive, you're stuck in the limbic system and you're stuck in the amygdala. You're not able to go to the higher regions of the brain where you're able to access the areas of your brain that can actually grow so that on a concrete level, if you're staring at a cookie, (laughs) (laughs) having that craving at four o'clock of maybe you had a tough day at work or maybe your children are really pushing your buttons, whatever's going on in your life, you're sitting in traffic and you're late for a meeting, right? And that impulse hits you, bam, you know, I really want a brownie right now or whatever it is that you're feeling. You know, if your brain is in that fight or flight space, you're not able to access those higher regions of the brain where you're going, okay, this is just an impulse. I know that you're really feeling this strong desire for a cookie. I know you can handle it. It's all right. You can be with it. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. So when we're stuck in that place of, I have to be perfect to be okay, we're not able to go to those places because we get hijacked by shame. Yeah. We get hijacked by shame and that feeling of I'm not good enough and I'm not okay. And then you get that whole spiral where it proliferates where you make a mistake and then you feel like you've totally fallen off the bandwagon and then you feel like, well, just forget about it. It's the what the hell effect. Well, (laughs) I blew it. So I had a cookie. I might as well have cake too. Yeah. Yeah. You feel bad about blowing it and then it goes spirals and spirals and then you feel ashamed about who you are. I have no willpower. I'm just slug. I'm never going to be able to heal. I'm never going to be able to change. And you get caught in that muck. Yeah. It's almost like the more perfect that you are, the more you set yourself up for failure. Mm. I'm going to make a t-shirt that says I'm lowering my expectations. (laughs) And the reason is because for people who are attracted to this work in general are people who are really trying to care for their bodies and find that optimal health. The shadow side of that is that we can turn it into this quest for perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, And perfection, my favorite quote about perfection is that perfection will keep you cramped and insane your whole life. It's uh, that's from Anne Lamott. She calls it the voice of the oppressor. (laughs) And when you're trying to eat perfectly, uh, what you do is you make eating into this tightrope that you're always trying to walk. And so then there's all this tension and rigidity and there feels like there's no room or margin for error. Mm-hmm. Sounds counterintuitive, but the more you relax about changing your eating habits, the more you have available to actually respond. You're not so reactionary. Right. And actually when this is kind of a common problem and it's becoming more common as uh, as paleo and ancestral eating goes more mainstream as, as people start this lifestyle, it's going great for them. They're losing all this weight. They're feeling better. But what starts as a quest for health oftentimes ends up as a quest for the perfect body. And that's when it gets, uh, it gets to be a minefield. Yes. And I see that in particular with women, Mm -hmm. you've talked about this a little bit there. And that's so interesting that you bring that up because after I went through my whole healing journey, I really thought I was at that place where I'd done all my inner work and I, I thought I'd arrived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing because then what happened was I went through the hardest three years of my life wow. where everything fell apart on pretty much every layer of my life, relationships, finances, health. Um, it was an incredibly difficult time. And this was after I'd written Overcoming Sugar Addiction, where I talked about how I'd stopped eating sugar. And during this hard time, I went back to eating sugar. Wow. So that was very humbling. And it was um, 
very challenging for me. I felt embarrassed here. I'd written this book. People knew me as the sugar lady and then I'm going back to eating sugar. Um, I had some, some health challenges during that time. And I definitely felt like a failure. Hmm. Like, wow. And what that period taught me that was so important. And I ended up taking overcoming sugar addiction off the market and I rewrote it. And I rewrote it and I added a whole new chapter at the end. And the reason why I rewrote it was because I realized that I had thought that I had really been coming from not eating sugar from a place of love and compassion, doing it from a place of, I love you so much and I want to take good, good care of you. Because I recognize that for me, sugar was highly addictive. For me, it was like pain. Um, And I have a pretty sensitive nervous system and a pretty sensitive um, body that reacted really, really strongly to it. So I recognized that I needed to stop eating it. And I thought I was doing it from this place of love and compassion and acceptance. Well, when I went through that hard time, it's like, be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> it showed me all the ways that I was still trying to control and turn it into that quest of all the externals. Wow. And all the externals were eliminated. What I came to at the ground floor level is, can I do this just to be kind? Can I do this without any attachment to results? Can I do it just because this is a kind, loving thing to do for my body because it does give me greater health. Yeah. And as a woman, <laughs> that was because let's face it, I'm a woman. I love beauty. Most women do. And most women, we love to feel seen and, and appreciated. And for a lot of us, that's directly tied to what we look like. And I get that. And I'm not saying that there's there's necessarily anything wrong with it. But if it becomes our primary focus and if it's how we define our worth, in my experience, it's just a recipe for suffering. Yeah. So I had to detach how I was caring for myself from any expectation of because I should look this way or because I want to be more together or any of those reasons just to do it because it's kind, which when you think about it and really look at what that is to me, that is unconditional love. I mean, if I am giving someone a gift, am I giving it because I expect them to react in a certain way? Am I doing it because I expect to get something back or am I doing it just because I want to give to that person? Mm Mm-hmm. So I was doing that for myself and that was a fundamentally healing moment in my life. And uh, I remember sitting on my yoga mat with just tears dripping down my face and I had my hands on my heart and this expression that came to me this year that when I noticed that that voice of self-judgment, because what came up in that hard time was incredible self-judgment of you should know better, you know, you shouldn't have allowed yourself to get to this place, you should have been able to handle this better, you should have been able to prevent this, you shouldn't have gone back to sugar. Yeah. I mean, I was basically blaming myself on every level for this hard time that I was going through. And instead, I just found that self-forgiveness of it's okay. And I let it go. And the phrase I used for myself was, I will not make war against my own heart. Yeah, that's great. And it's, uh, sugar is a pernicious, pernicious substance. (laughs) It can really ruin lives in a lot of cases, I think. Your um, the hard times that you went through are, are an example of that. What is it about sugar for you that that always seems to become addictive and and kind of override all of those mechanisms that are in your head that you know it's wrong, but you still kind of go for that cookie? Say, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I think it comes down to sugar was my mother. Hmm. In my intellectual brain, 
intellectually, I know that sugar is bad for me. <laughs> intellectually, I know that when I eat sugar, I can see that that chain reaction of exactly how it makes me feel, mm-hmm. um, how it makes me feel terrible emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, every area of my life. But in the face of my emotional pain, it would override that. For me, sugar, and I see this over and over with people that I work with, is that sugar was my substitute caretaker. It was how I comforted myself. It is how I uh, gave myself empathy. It was how I cared for every quote-unquote negative or painful feeling, whether it was loneliness, sadness. Um, It's kind of like those experiments that they did. I don't know if you studied it in your experience in psychology, but with the monkeys where they would take baby monkeys and remove them from their mothers. Mm -hmm. like the wire monkey yeah it was so sad yeah the stuffed animal monkey with the with the bottles but um they would attach to those wire monkeys because we're mammals we Mm -hmm. are social animals we're social beings we cannot survive without each other and that feeling of belonging of feeling that we're attached and connected and safe and secure i attached to sugar sugar was like my wire monkey Interesting. Despite how it made you feel. Despite how it made me feel. I didn't care. It's one woman described it. It's like a bad boyfriend. I can't let go. (laughs) (laughs) No, again, you know, it's not bad for you, but because Uh I was meeting so many of my needs. So what I have learned how to, what I learned in that very difficult time and what blew me open because I'm so, it was, it was such powerful, a powerful experience for me that then I began sharing with others was it's it was an attachment of can I find that secure attachment in something other than sugar at the most baseline level with with myself and where did you find that so for me that was in my relationship with the divine um, but it was also finding it in myself mm-hmm what some people call your, you know, people have different names for it, your true self, your core healthy self. Some people call it your inner parent. It's that part of you that, it's that part of you that can't be hurt by the slings and arrows of life. It's that core that no matter what our experiences are, that is, that it's still there. That is what I came home to and what I, what I touched. And it's that part that then I talk to myself from, because the thing about that scared little girl who wants that that sugar mother, Mm -hmm. still there. It's not like that part of me went away. It's rather how I heal that part is I care for her. So when Mm -hmm. she, because she still shows up. So when she shows up, uh, I care for her with those other, those other parts. So again, and the way I talk to her is the same way that I talk to my kids. So it sounds kind of silly. And some people, when I explain it, I'm like, I get it. I know it sounds kind of ridiculous, but the way I talk to myself is sweetheart, I know. So if I'm craving sugar, because it happens still. And this is something I like to explain to people that, yes, when you stop eating sugar, the physical cravings absolutely do diminish, mm-hmm. night and day for me anyway. Um, but the emotional cravings can still pop up. And it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean that you're failing. It just means that you're human. Uh, those things come up. So instead of looking at cravings as something for me to fight against or as like the enemy or as the bad guy that yeah. I have to like arcade against, I invite them in. It's that same befriending process where I basically... Like if I were inviting them in for tea, like, it's okay, come on. (laughs) And then I talk to my cravings. So the cravings might say something like, I'm really overwhelmed. You know, I've got four kids. My life is really full. I get, I feel overwhelmed a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm feeling really overwhelmed that day and maybe I've had a really challenging day with my children or there's some challenges with, with work or different things, I'll just, I'll talk to myself 
from that core healthy space where Mm -hmm. it's like, I know, sweetheart, this is really challenging for you. I'm really sorry. I know you can handle this. And it sounds counterintuitive because we're afraid that if we actually validated our feelings and honored how we're feeling, like when we're feeling bitchy or when we're feeling exhausted or feeling overwhelmed or feeling jealous or feeling angry, whatever it is, we're afraid that if I actually touch that feeling and validate it and acknowledge it, that all hell's going to break loose, that I'm just going to be lost in the feeling. But when I come alongside that feeling and just validate it and say, yep, okay, you're feeling really angry right now or Mm -hmm. you're really pushing your buttons, it's like my whole body softens and relaxes. Yeah. Wow. So Carly, uh, it, it's four o'clock. You were late to a meeting. You've had a really rough day and there's a cookie in front of you. What, what <laughs> happens now? <laughs> so what I do is I have something I call rock your cravings to sleep. Hmm. And this is the exact process that I use. So first of all, you want to just acknowledge it because when most of us have a craving, what we try to do is we push it down. We're like, and we intellectualize, we go to the intellectual brain and we go to those places of, you know how bad that cookie is going to make you feel, or you know that if you eat that cookie, you're going to want to eat five more. Um, but when you're feeling that emotional craving, it's like telling a three-year-old child whose favorite toy just broke. Well, you know, toys break sometimes, <laughs> you know, that child doesn't want to hear that at that moment. That right. child wants to hear like, oh, I'm sorry. You must feel so sad right now. Your favorite toy broke. <laughs> so Think of yourself as a four-year-old child in general when you're feeling that emotional craving is a great way to look at it because those parts of you that are craving and wanting are actually very, very young. They are those younger parts of you. Yeah. So, so acknowledge it. Just validate it. Don't intellectualize. Just, just recognize it. So whatever it is, I, it's in so many words saying, I see you. So, okay, you're craving that cookie. Then dive right into it. What is that craving saying? I, and, and this is where it can sound like a small child. I've just... I'm in traffic and I'm late and I've had a tough day and uh, I tried on my pants this morning and they're tight and I'm so sick of trying to do this paleo thing. Okay, whatever's going through your mind, it's like, let it, just let it run, let it go with it. And your job is to just say, I know, I know, I know. I understand that makes so much sense. You're validating, you're mirroring. Yeah, I get it, I get it. Mm. And then you might ask your craving, okay, what do I need from you? Because often when you're craving something, we don't crave because we have no willpower. We don't crave because we're this, these undisciplined slugs. No, you crave because you've got some kind of unmet, unmet need. Right. If you're needing, maybe you're just exhausted at that moment. Maybe you're needing to feel like you're just needing some support. Maybe you're needing that empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is, but sometimes it's an actual physical thing. Like a lot of people get cravings at four o'clock because they're physically exhausted and yeah. they're themselves. Mm-hmm cup of coffee. It's the, it's the caffeine and sugar lift at the end of the day. So that might be a sign of, well, you just need to rest. Mm-hmm. So validate, so you're validating, you're letting that craving speak. So it's like you're giving it a voice, give it a voice, feel the emotion of it, truly feel it, offer it compassion. And then if you need to actually act to care for it, do so. And then keep that process going. So it's actually like, imagine that you've got a small child in your arms and you're rocking that child and that child's just crying out its tears, whatever sadness it is, until that child is soothed. And eventually the a little child will get to that place where they kind of are crying and they'll kind of go, mm-hmm. <sighs> they'll kind of sigh. Mm-hmm. And that's usually when a child will, it's when, it's when things are integrated for them and they've come to terms and they're at peace. And with your craving, you can do the same thing for itself. We think that when we're in a craving, it's going to last for 30 minutes. We think it's, it's incredibly intense. I get that it's painful. 
it will pass. And the more you actually allow it and truly feel it and rock those cravings to sleep, the more you're able to be with them instead of be caught in it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And one of the things that I see uh, these days that's really interesting is that the, the further away we get from real food and, and tasty food and fresh food, um, I mean, there's no denying that a fresh baked cookie is delicious, right? <laughs> In pretty much all circumstances. But what what seems to happen is people go for the the stale uh, conference room cookies at the end four o'clock, right? The ones that weren't very good to begin with, and now they've been sitting around all day, and it doesn't even taste that good. Like they're not enjoying the moment of it. And I think that's a huge issue because you can't be satisfied when you eat a crappy cookie and then you feel like crap too. Yeah, that's a great point. And what what that brought up for me is listening to that is how much we often use sugar or crappy food as a substitute for true genuine pleasure. Mm-hmm. I see that over and over in my work is that are you truly allowing yourself to fully enjoy your life? Because yeah. if you are skimping on true satisfying joy and pleasure in your life, then often you use sugar or that crappy food because it's cheap, it's readily available, it's socially acceptable as a substitute. It's almost like you're using food as your voice. Hmm. So what you want to do is you want to you be more authentic and truly speaking up for what you're really wanting. What are you really wanting when you go for those stale cookies? <laughs> might be just that you're pissed off because you're not allowing yourself to truly allow yourself to open to true pleasure. Yeah. And you're so right about it being a fleeting thing. It reminds me also of, um, I, I'm someone who I've, I've found a way to work fasting into my lifestyle and it seems to work pretty well for me. Um, and, and one thing that happens with hunger, um, especially when I was eating a lot of carbs, I, I felt like hunger was something that was there and I needed to address it immediately. What's happened now, especially as I've, I've uh, cleaned up my diet, I eat fewer carbs and, and certainly uh, fewer crappy carbs and sugar and all of that, is that the moments of hunger are fleeting. And once they pass, it's just, you know, a minute or two, and then you're fine. And you almost feel better not eating in some cases. And that's certainly true if, if you're craving sugar and then you decide, not to eat it because everyone knows what happens <laughs> when you do eat sugar, the dreaded crash. I know. And for me, I could never eat just one cookie. It was right. always 12 or. <laughs> yeah. But what I think what I hear you're saying is you're, you're, you're finding that pause button mm-hmm. of really slowing down whenever anything painful arises. It's our natural human reaction to want to make it go away. Yeah. Uh, and so building your tolerance for discomfort muscle is I think definitely a part of the process. And that's why one of the areas where I think self-compassion is so helpful is people, when I teach self-compassion, everyone, the question I get most often from everyone is, if I am kinder and more compassionate to myself, I'm gonna turn into a 300 pound slug that eats (laughs) all day and never gets off the couch. Um, In my experience, the opposite is actually true. What compassion does is make you responsible in the terms of it makes you able to respond. Mm -hmm. You're more responsive instead of reactive. When we're reactive, again, we're caught in that fight or flight. So feel that impulse of stale cookie. 
I need to eat it right now. And when you find that pause and you're able to step back a little bit and say, okay, this is uncomfortable and I can handle that. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is you're building that tolerance for discomfort so that you realize, okay, this isn't the end of the world. I may not like it. It may be uncomfortable and it's okay. And self-compassion is what enables me to do that. So when I go exercise, you know, I love to do vinyasa yoga. It's pretty vigorous. It's pretty Mm -hmm. intense. I love it. Um, It's what I love to do. But, you know, I'm often in yoga class and they're, you know, they're making you hold a pose forever and you're like, oh, and you're holding, it hurts and your body's shaking. And it's like, okay, um, what helps you stay in the pose when you want to get out of the pose? And for me, the more compassionately I talk to myself, like, I know this is challenging. And, and here's the key point, and you can handle this. That phrase, you can handle this. That gets me through so much because our minds will have us believe that whether it's a craving or whether it's sadness or whether it's loneliness or whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whatever it is, our minds will tell us that you can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Slowing this process down, finding that and, uh, that is one way that you can build that impulse control. So another idea, another tool, if you are craving that cookie at four o'clock, and uh, you're feeling that real impulse, or let's say you're driving home and you know this thought flashes through your mind of, I need to stop at Amy's and get ice cream or whatever. <laughs> oh, Amy's. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever it is, is when you have those impulse control, everyone thinks it's a matter of willpower. But instead of looking at it as, okay, I just have to tell that craving to be quiet and I just have to reason with it and all those other things, instead, Instead of doing that with an impulse, try this on. And this was taught to me by one of my mentors, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who is an attachment theorist and developmental psychologist. And what you want to do is you want to move to the part of your brain that can integrate. And what integrative functioning is, it's the ability to hold two contrasting thoughts or feelings at the same time. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're driving home and you're wanting that cookie and there's a, it's like there's a little devil on one shoulder going, I want to eat the cookie. And the other angel on the other shoulder is going, you don't want to eat the cookie. Um, so instead of just going towards one or the other, what you do is you hold that tension of opposites. Now, holding the tension of opposites is incredibly uncomfortable, which is why we don't like to do it, which is why all or nothing thinking, which is the opposite of integrative functioning, mm-hmm. all or nothing thinking is either I have to eat the cookie or I don't have to eat the cookie. Uh, that feels more comfortable because you're not holding that tension. But if you can stay with that tension, what you will find is by mixing it up together, that part of you that's like, oh, I know it would taste really good. I'm feeling really hungry. I've had a tough day. I want some comfort. I want to eat that cookie. That other part of you that's saying, I don't want to eat the cookie, what that part of you is attached to is actually your deepest core values. Hmm. So it might be something like help. It might be something like love and compassion. It might be something like patience. It might be something like... um beauty, whatever it is, you know, we all have those values. That is what we most want to be in the world. But the problem is our impulses pop up, whether it's an impulse of, I want to eat a cookie, or it's an impulse of you get in an argument with a loved one and they push your buttons and you want to lash out and say something that you later regret. Mm -hmm. You know, all examples of where our impulsive brain can kind of work against us. So how you find that quote unquote willpower to truly live out what's most important to you, whether it's, okay, I want to honor my body by eating a certain way, or I want my, I want to honor the people that I'm in relationship with 
uh, with respect and kindness, or I want to honor myself with respect and kindness, whatever that is, it's your values. Mm -hmm. It's your values that, that do that. So the way that I do that is when I notice an impulse coming, the first thing I do is I do something called grounding down. And what grounding down is, it's moving your energy up from your head into your belly, into like your solar plexus or even into like your um, your pelvis, you know. Whew. It's almost like a sumo wrestler. You're like, it's <laughs> when you're caught in those impulses, you know, we're often caught in that, that brain that's, that's, that's in a lot, a lot of thinking. And so by grounding your energy down, it's almost like taking a real deep breath and you're centering your energy lower. Mm -hmm. And so then after you center your energy lower in your body, then you can use your compassionate self-talk if it's uncomfortable because you're sitting with that discomfort of, I want to eat the cookie, I don't want to eat the cookie. And just use a little mantra. And like I said, the one I use is, you can handle this. Yeah. You can handle this. It's uncomfortable and you can handle this. Whether it's, you know, I've got a screaming child or whether it's a loved one saying something that's really hooking me and I want to jump in and defend myself, just quieting those impulsive parts of me. It's like, it's okay. You can handle this. So that's, that's soothing the emotional impulsive brain. And then almost like you're just watching that impulse blow by like a cloud in the sky, just let it go by and wait for that deeper value to arise because it will arise it's that sense of no you really don't want to eat the cookie because you love and you care for yourself and you care for your body mm -hmm. and you're happy that cookie makes you feel yeah this tool is so powerful when i do this it's like i've won the lottery because the reason it's so empowering to me is that voice inside my head that tells me that you know, uh, when you're, when you lash out at someone you love, you know, you feel so bad afterwards. You're like, man, why did I do that? Or, you know, if my child's pushing my buttons and I snap at him and then later I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Or mm -hmm. when you, you practice with this tool and soothe your impulsive thoughts in this way, you're, you are reminding yourself that I'm so much stronger than I realize that I'm not ruled by my impulses. It's not my fault that they arise. They all arise in all of us. And I can respond to them differently. I can care for them. And what I would tell you is that using that tool with a cookie is going to impact every other area of your life, which yeah. is what's beautiful about the work. So as you sit with the impulse with the cookie, when you're in an argument with your loved ones, it's the same thing that's going to come up. So that when you have that, that comeback on the tip of your tongue, <laughs> be able to pause and be like, no, I don't want to say that because I know it would hurt them. Yeah. There, your love for that person is arising. Yeah, I'm feeling angry at this person and I'm feeling hurt and I love them. I don't want to hurt them. Or my son is really pushing my buttons and he's really challenging and his behavior is really uncomfortable for me right now. And I love my son. Mm -hmm. I care for him lovingly. And that's what keeps me from, you know, lashing out at him when he's pushing all my buttons. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful, Carly. And I can't believe it, but we're already at time. But uh, for the folks who are listening, where can they where can they find you, and what are you working on now? Yeah, so my newest program is the Thirty Day Lift, and I wrote the Thirty Day Lift. It's a program on compassionate habit change from sugar. So if you're in that space where you recognize that I want to eat less sugar, I need to eat less sugar, and yet you're in the yes but how question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly what it's about so all these tools are integrated in 30 days of support to get you from intention into action into actually changing those behaviors so you can learn more about that in my other sugar products overcoming sugar addiction and overcoming sugar addiction for life at sugaraddictionbook.com 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carly. This has been an absolute blast, and I'd love to have you come back soon. Oh, absolutely. It's been a, a joy and a pleasure. And I thank you so much for sharing your work and your wisdom. I'm really grateful that you're doing this. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Carly. You're welcome. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and Future Greens. You want my number one health tip right now? Get your greens in every single day. I've been getting my greens on every day for coming up on, well, almost every day, let's be honest, for coming up on almost 10 years now, and I believe it makes a monumental difference to my health, performance, and overall well-being. Why? Well, most of us eat too many acidic foods like meat, dairy, or sugar and other junk carbs, leading to an unbalanced pH level in the body and more than our fair share of toxins. I don't know if you've ever tried greens supplements, but most of them taste terrible, like fish tank. And if it doesn't taste good, I won't drink it, no matter how good it is for me, especially if you're talking every day. There are tons of supplements out there packed with cheap fats, sugar, fillers, and caffeine, but we have a much better option if you're looking to increase your energy and your health. So when Allison and I are on the road, we always take Future Greens. Future Greens is a concentrated superfood powder made from 15 organic fruits and vegetables, plus six additional superfoods, as well as digestive enzymes. So in less than 60 seconds, you can get the nutrition of over 20 fruits, veggies, and adaptogens, all with less than one gram of sugar. Future Greens is packed with vitamins, minerals, and filling prebiotic fiber from whole, organic veggies, sprouts, algaes, and berries, including kale, beet, parsley, collard greens, cauliflower sprouts, broccoli sprouts, spirulina, chlorella, blueberries, raspberries, and much more. Imagine the time and expense it would take you to buy and prepare all those foods separately. Trust us, we've tried, and Future Greens makes it a heck of a lot easier. Our ingredients are harvested at peak freshness and potency and immediately concentrated and dried using cool temperature processes that preserve the energetic and nutritional integrity of all the ingredients. Whether you're looking to strengthen your immunity, cleanse your system of toxins, alkalize your body, diversify your diet, or boost your energy without caffeine, Future Greens is your new best friend. And as a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can get a 20% discount to try Future Greens yourself. So to get Future Greens from Wild Superfoods and your special Fat Burning Man deal, just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens to get 20% off when you subscribe and save. On top of that, you'll get an extra bonus that I can't even tell you about right now, but just visit fatburningman.com forward slash greens. We'll see you there. If you'd like to hear more from Carly, you can head to her website at carlyrandolphpittman.com. So I'll be back in Austin, Texas in just a couple of weeks. Really excited to have a, a strong internet connection so I can talk to a lot of exciting guests coming up, more best-selling authors and fitness celebrities, as well as some success stories of, of regular people who have experienced great results cleaning up their diet and embracing a healthy lifestyle. So stay tuned for all of that. And once again, thank you so much for listening and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers.